The following is a presentation of the Premier Dance Network. Hello and welcome back. Thanks for coming to chat. I am your host, Barry Corollis, and you are listening to Pa de Chat Talking Dance on the Premier Dance Network. In this weekly podcast, I candidly offer educational conversations and thoughtful analysis on all things dance. With my vast background as a director, choreographer, instructor, and dancer, I am happy to share my 14 plus years of experience with you, whether you're a professional dancer or just listening in for an insider's look into our fascinating art form. So put your earbuds in, grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and let's talk dance. It's now the week of October 10th, (laughs) and I feel like I'm finally getting back into the swing of things after my amazing South American honeymoon. Uh, I wish that I didn't have to return to watching that horrible, horrible debate that happened last night over between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump, but I'd rather talk about other things than politics these days. (laughs) Um... I recently was hired by Greenwich Ballet Academy, uh, which is in upstate New York, right on the border of Connecticut, um, to work as the the sole faculty member in their contemporary division. So I'm really excited to be uh, finally working with some students, uh, very talented students, actually, on a regular basis. Beyond that, for any of you that are interested in taking my classes, uh, I will be teaching a handful of classes over the next uh, couple of weeks in both New York City and Philadelphia. So just a quick rundown on Monday, the 17th of October at 1130 a.m., I'll be teaching an advanced beginner contemporary class at Steps. On the 19th, I will be teaching an advanced contemporary class in Philadelphia at Koresh Dance Company School. On Thursday, the 20th at 6 p.m., again, I'll be teaching at Koresh Advanced Contemporary. Saturday on the 22nd at Steps, I'll be teaching my first advanced contemporary class in New York City. So I'm really excited to be doing that, and I'm hoping that any of you professionals that are interested in trying my style of contemporary, I hope that you come and join me. Again, that's Saturday, the 22nd of October at 1 p.m. And then uh, the last one I have in the next two weeks uh, is again at Steps. It's an advanced beginner contemporary class on Monday the 24th at 11.30 a.m. So that's my schedule. If you want to come take class with me, come say hi, uh, meet me, uh, please feel free to stop on in. I'd love to see you in class. So moving on from all of that excitement, I was thinking <laughs> uh, today that I would talk about burning bridges. Uh Maybe this is more relevant than I think with everything that's been happening in politics, but we're not going to talk about politics. We're going to talk about burning bridges in dance. So let's get started with this chat this week. Uh, Growing up in a small local school, I gained a different perspective than what I may have gotten had I been a part of a larger institution. Uh, I went to a local school, the Chester Valley Dance Academy, um, and I didn't really transition into larger schools like the Kirov Academy of Dance, uh, Ballet, I don't know where that came from, Kirov Academy of Ballet in Washington, D.C., or the School of American Ballet until my final finishing years of training. so yeah, growing up in a small local school and being the only male at my studio over the age of 10 meant that I got a lot more push and direct advice than a lot of dancers get throughout their entire training in these bigger schools. While I received multitudes of direction throughout the years, I spent 
uh, honing my passion for dance at Chester Valley Dance Academy, the most repetitious guidance I received was from the director of the school. Uh, she kept on telling me, you must never burn a bridge. The dance world is small and you never know who knows who. Uh, and this advice was such valuable advice and very, very true advice. I've been surprised throughout my years as a, a professional uh, how small the dance world gets after you've made that jump from training to career. <laughs> uh, I fully agree with this advice. Uh, that you you shouldn't be burning bridges. But at the same time, I, I disagree as well, and I'm going to get a little bit more into that in a second. Uh, so, I, I guess I can say that I am probably one of the more controversial dancers that, uh, <laughs> that you will come across. Um, and I don't mean that in a negative connotation. Um, it's just going to take a little bit of explaining for me to tell you. Uh, while I have always relied on that advice to not burn bridges, I haven't necessarily followed it. Even though a lot of the times when I haven't followed it, it was unintentionally. Um, and sometimes I didn't realize that it was happening until after the fact. Avoiding burning bridges is a priority of mine, and it's also a fear of mine. I'm very, very, I, or at least I try to be very, very aware of everybody's feelings and actions and uh, keeping an idea of what's happening in the room or in organizations and different things like that. I try to keep a very aware of those things, but it, it, you, you can't always keep things <laughs> in, in a perfect balance of uh, respecting others and keeping the same respect for yourself when uh, different things are happening in a studio or in a business exchange or in an office or any of the above. Um, so like I said, avoiding burning bridges, it's a priority of mine. Um, yet I feel that I've done it more than other dancers that I know. Or I speak more openly about it and other people keep it under wraps or maybe others' careers don't last long enough for them to get to these places. But uh, I... I I obviously knowing my own, but also putting it out there, I, I don't know too many other dancers that have burnt as many bridges as I have. Not that I've done a ton, just there have been a handful of situations, which I'm going to get to in a second, um, but there have been a handful of situations where I've, I've, I've burnt bridges, so I'll get to that. Um, like I said, each time that a bridge has been burnt, it was never my intention. Perhaps a misunderstanding, hunger for maximum achievement or ambition, <laughs> or... Uh, it was done out of self-preservation. So I want to share my honest story openly to explore the subject objectively and to help others understand and learn from my experiences. And I'm wondering at the same time if it's even possible to never burn a bridge in the dance world with uh, so many people being so passionate and so invested in, in their art. Perhaps the first time I ever burnt a bridge, I was only 18 years old. I was really, really young. <laughs> Barely not a child, <laughs> but still a child. I was on the verge of graduating from the Kirov Academy of Ballet, and I was kind of an underdog. When I went into the school, I was technically behind everybody, and my body lacked the beautiful classical line of every other male dancer in the school. This school, they bred dancers with 
perfect princely, gorgeous proportions uh, for, for the men. Um, and if you actually look at my class pictures in my yearbook, I look completely different than everybody else. And when I actually auditioned for the school year, the director in very broken English, Madame Vinogradova, who used, used to be, well, she was the ex-wife of... Uh, Oleg Vinogradov, who used to be the artistic director of the Kirov before it turned into the Mariinsky in Russia. Anyway, she, uh, I auditioned, and afterwards she goes, <laughs> she goes, very slow year for boys, small scholarship. <laughs> so I barely made it into the school with the scholarship. I was very lucky that I, I got what I got. Anyway, it came as a surprise to me later in the year when the director of Colorado Ballet, who had come to watch class, offered me a full company corps de ballet position for his upcoming season. So I was 18 years old, and I had gone from the furthest behind in my class to uh, becoming ha having a chance to start my career at the age of 18 uh, with Colorado Ballet in Denver. At the same time, I had finally made it into my dream school, the School of American Ballet, for their summer intensive. Um, gaining acceptance into SAB is actually what inspired me to focus on ballet at the age of 15. So, three years later, it finally happened, and I was set on getting to experience the, the, th the school that actually inspired me to become a professional, or to work to become a professional dancer ballet dancer. I, I was always kind of interest, more interested in musical theater and Broadway and jazz and modern and all that, but uh, the School of American Ballet really inspired me to change my focus to ballet. As soon as I received my letter of acceptance uh, to the School of American Ballet, I called them and I mentioned that I had been offered a contract, a core contract with Colorado Ballet. And I told the school that I had dreamed about spending the year there for since I was 15 and I would turn down the offer to become a professional dancer just to have the chance to be a part of that school. And their response was they told me that acceptance in the summer program didn't guarantee a spot into the year program um, and that they wouldn't be able to tell me if I was going to be offered a, a position in the year-round program until the summer program was at least halfway over. They suggested that I shouldn't risk losing my job offer and that I should sign that contract with Colorado Ballet to ensure that I had something to do the following season if I wasn't offered a place in, the, in their school. So I did what I think anybody else would do and I signed the contract. I sent it in and I started searching for an apartment in what I thought to be my new home, Denver, Colorado. At the end of June, I moved into my summer home in the dorms at Lincoln Center, and after the first few days of the program, <laughs> Jock Soto, one of the former instructors at the school, pulled me into a conference room with uh, Michael Breeden, who is actually a current Miami City ballet dancer, um, and he currently runs a podcast with Rebecca King. Uh, so if you get a chance, you should check out their podcast. But anyway, back to the story. Mike, he, Michael Breeden was pulled into an office with Peter Bull, and Jock Soto pulled me in. So the four of us were sitting uh, in an office together and they told us how much they enjoyed seeing us in class and offered both of us to stay for the year to study with the school and them directly. These talks usually didn't happen for a few weeks uh, into, the, into the program, so the two of us were really excited to get the talk <laughs> so soon. For me, I was filled with mixed emotions, though, at receiving such amazing news. I mean, I was realizing my dream, and 
I had worked so hard to reach that goal. But at the same time, it was mixed with fear and confusion that I had to choose between my dream of training at SAB <laughs> and my dream of becoming a professional dancer. And I wasn't sure if I turned away this opportunity to be a professional, if it would come the next year. I was, it was a big risk that I was taking. I spent a few days mulling over this decision and determined that I couldn't turn away from what inspired me to focus on ballet in the first place. So I called up the director of Colorado Ballet and as apologetically as I could, I broke my contract for the upcoming season. The director told me that he understood my decision but was very disappointed that I was breaking a promise that I had put in writing. I still, to this day, it's been, what, 15 years? <laughs> I still, to this day, feel awful that it had to happen that way, but I couldn't live with the regret that I would have missed the opportunity to train at the School of American Ballet. In the end, I believe it was one of the best career decisions that I've made. Not only did it did I get into a great school to add to my training experience, but I learned a completely different style of ballet and made new connections that wouldn't have been available to me in a classical ballet company that was more isolated than other companies in the country. So that's the first time that I burnt a bridge. <laughs> the second time I burnt a bridge was less complicated than my first. After a very productive year training at the School of American Ballet and doing 14 auditions for companies, I had been offered a handful of contracts. Luckily, I was very lucky, lucky but I had put myself out there. I was, all, I was taking class all week and then I was auditioning all weekend for about three months. The offer that most interested me was to join Pennsylvania Ballet's second company, as it was the best company I had been offered to dance with, and it was also close to home. I was raised in Chester County, which is about a 45-minute to an hour drive west of Philadelphia. I emailed the director of the second company and told him I was going to accept their offer, and I asked for them to send me a contract so I could sign it. <laughs> the day that my contract arrived, I can't even make this up, but the day that my contract arrived, I got a call from Stanton Welch with Houston Ballet offering me an apprenticeship with the company. Not only was this a more substantial company, but the position that they offered me was a company position. Um, now, the, the contract that was offered to me with Pennsylvania Ballet, second company or their studio company, um, was for their smaller training arm to get into the company. So I wasn't technically a company member if I signed the contract with Pennsylvania Ballet too. But if I signed the contract with Houston Ballet, I was an official member of the company and I, I didn't have to go through a process to actually make it into the full-fledged company. So, like anybody else in my position, I assume at least, I promptly called Pennsylvania Ballet and I told them that I was going to accept this offer with Houston Ballet because I actually wasn't contractually obligated to them yet because I hadn't signed the contract. It was in the mail. It actually arrived the same day. Timing is everything. But it arrived that day, but I hadn't signed it or sent it back in. So, while we had a verbal commitment, I wasn't contractually committed like I had been with Colorado Ballet. The response that I got from Pennsylvania Ballet was not the understanding that I had expected. I, I guess I kind of thought that they would understand the situation, especially considering that I wasn't being offered a full company position. Um, I expected there to be disappointment when I called, but I didn't expect to be told that they weren't pleased that I had made the decision and fully expected me to follow through with my verbal agreement. 
Being a naive teenager, I thought they would understand why I would take a higher position with a better company, but they didn't. While they didn't completely put me off in the years to come, after auditioning again for the company a few years later, they eventually stopped letting me take company class. Essentially, the term many of us have heard, I was blacklisted from the company while Roy Kaiser was still the director. A few years ago, I had the unfortunate experience where I didn't realize a bridge was being burnt until it had already burnt, collapsed, and fallen into a deep lake of despair. <laughs> I've, I've talked about this experience in a handful of other podcasts, but I'm going to talk about it a little bit more thoroughly right now. So, I had experienced an injury while dancing with Ballet X, uh, I guess it was about four years ago, and then I've talked about this. Um, actually, in one of my earlier podcasts, I talked about getting fired from the company. So, if you want to get more information on that specific incident, um, you can go back to one of the first podcasts that I did and listen to that. But fast forwarding, I, I, I was injured with Ballet X and they had unfortunately kept information secret from me that prevented me from getting the assistance to recover from this uh, uh, injury that I was owed. I was paying into work, workers' compensation and I, um, long story short, I, I wasn't aware that it was available to me and um, I had been injured for a couple months and it was never offered to me and finally when I realized that it was available to me, it was too late. That's the quick of it all. Again, like I said, if you want to hear more, go back to that podcast. So, after working through a freelancing opportunity in pain with assistance from the company to get physical therapy, I returned for the next program still in pain. I made the mistake of remaining quiet and trying to dance through it. I knew I couldn't afford to take care of it, and I had already put myself out there asking for help. Um, I had asked the director if they could help me get physical therapy, and I was instead told that I uh, should change how I worked in class or take yoga, but I was already too injured to even do those things. So I was put off, and I at that point, I, I had learned that I needed to stay quiet because if I was showing and talking about the fact that I was injured, it was not being uh, received very well. At the same time, a less experienced choreographer was creating a piece on us to be performed at a major dance venue in New York City. Uh, and this, this choreographer was Jody Gates, who is actually now the, the dean at a new amazing program. It's uh, the University of California. Uh, I can't remember which campus, but it's the Kaufman program. And she has William Forsyth uh, coming in to, to work with them and a handful of other fantastic staff members. Okay, back on track. So throughout the process of creating this piece that she was uh, choreographing, I was having difficulty with my dance partner, my pain, and the complexities of her style of choreographing. That was really quite new to me. I had never really experienced this uh, process before, and it slowed me down. It, it, was, it was one of the most challenging choreographic experiences I've ever had. I've gotten used, more used to it at this point, but at the time it was fresh. So, instead of supporting me through the process, unfortunately, she switched back and forth between ignoring me and, ma and making less than respectful comments towards me. I did my best to deal with the stress silently, as dancers are often taught and expected to do. But, after a week of the situation, the pressure came to a home. The choreographer yelled at me, claiming that I was marking a step that I had not been. And the conversation <laughs> essentially turned into her asking me if I had a problem, me being caught off guard and not understanding what she was 
asking me. Then she made a statement that said that she was really pissed off at me. And I, again, still didn't understand and I was trying not to get upset. And then finally she exclaimed that I was marking the choreography. And I, unfortunately, in my least proud moment as a professional dancer, I lost my cold and I started fighting back. Um, and over the years, I've been able to figure out why that happened. After being a union rep with a company protecting dancers for years and then being in a non-unionized company where we didn't have any protection and nobody was trying to protect me, um, I reacted. And it was, it was, like I said, not my proudest moment, but that's why it happened. The, the pressure of trying to be respectful and trying to respect myself became too much. And I defended myself loudly in front of everybody else. After a long private conversation following the outburst between the two of us, we returned to the studio with the agreement that she would be a bit more clear in the process. My efforts to ease the situation didn't work. To prove to her that I wasn't marking, <laughs> to hold up my end of the deal, I danced beyond my threshold of pain and I made my injury far worse. And this sped up the process of burning one bridge that eventually burnt many. That day will always be a big day in my life. It's if, if I wrote a book, it would probably be an entire chapter. <laughs> I broke dance law. I lost my cold. I lost my submission. And I created a sour relationship with the choreographer, teacher, and repetitor of works uh, by the very choreographer who inspired me to consider switching my focus to ballet. I also put a nail in the coffin of creating a relationship with somebody who uh, is doing really great things in the dance world. Um... And beyond all of that, I mean, worst of all was that the choreographer and the director of the company were really clo close friends. So by having a really strained moment with this choreographer, I was creating a lot of tension with, uh, the, with my boss. And I didn't even realize it. Throughout all of this, I also came to realize that I really couldn't continue to dance through this injury that I had been trying to dance through for months, months at, at that point. It was much worse than it had been prior to this argument, and I feared that if I continued to dance, I would have to pull out of the program closer to the performance dates, and that I could possibly incur permanent damage. I decided to take myself out of the program just a few days later, which eventually led to the company unfairly, and I believe illegally firing me. There were many complications that came out of the burning of this one bridge, but it was right for me to defend myself as a person, just not as a dancer. Was I valid in defending myself, effectively burning this bridge? Posing the above question brings up a great many more questions. When is it appropriate to burn a bridge? If you burn a bridge, how badly will it affect you? And most importantly, in such a short competitive career, is it impossible not to burn a bridge or two along the way? I'm still trying to figure all of these things out. When I burnt my bridge with Colorado Ballet, I felt that the company was isolated enough to avoid too much damage to my reputation. In the end, the director was fired from the company only a few years later, and my options grew exponentially from my decision to attend what is often considered the Harvard of the dance world here in the United States. When I burnt my bridge with Pennsylvania Ballet, I had the chance to dance with two of the greatest companies in the country for eight years. But at the same time, when I found myself back in Philadelphia, fired from Ballet X without a company to call home, there was no chance that the other company, ballet company in, in Philadelphia would consider me uh, as a dancer 
with their company as long as the director remained at the, the helm of the company. So uh, not having the option to dance with Ballet X, I really had nowhere that I could dance in, in Philadelphia in a ballet company, and that's really what pushed me and forced me to create my freelance career. In the last situation, I burnt a bridge protecting and defending my integrity and my body as a dancer in person. But in the end, I injured myself further, lost the potential avenue to working on choreography that inspires me. I lost my job. I created a rift and a potential, potentially good relationship with somebody that, that I have respect for, but maybe it was misinterpreted that I had no respect for because of the way that I acted. Um, and lastly, I lost a handful of friends who didn't want to be seen associating with me from the company because of what had happened. So with all of this information, I ask if it is, again, if it is ever appropriate to burn a bridge. And returning to the original question, is it possible to never burn one bridge in this dance world? I feel that it is impossible to give a proper answer. You thought I was going to say impossible to never burn a bridge. <laughs> but no, I think it's impossible to give a, a proper answer because there is no right or wrong in a lot of these situations. If you burn a bridge for a dream opportunity, is it worth it? If you burn a bridge to protect yourself from somebody that is treating you poorly, should you defend yourself? These are more questions of character than they are definitively yes or no answers. Are we dancers or are we human? When is it right to defend yourself as a human in a dance studio? Where exactly is the line between submiss being submissive and being abused? If you are offered the opportunity of a lifetime, do you let it pass you up to honor a contract that can be filled by another dancer who will probably appreciate the value of that opportunity more? What it comes down to is that these decisions are not about a right or wrong answer. Instead, the act of burning a bridge is very, very personal. And it is unfortunate that in certain circumstances, one may not be aware that they are burning a bridge until after the moment happens, like when I was defending myself in the studio. I'd like to leave all of my listeners with this. While these unfortunate happenings are to be handled at the discretion of each individual dancer, one should not go about their work fearing that they are going to burn a bridge if an action is damaging to oneself physically or emotionally. We can only hope that instead of burning a bridge, it can be left damaged and open to repair. For we are only human. I hope that none of you ever really have to experience what it feels like to have a bridge burnt. Uh, and I hope that when you listen to this, that you're really just listening to it for information that you're not turning to this for uh, during, during a difficult time. But I think it's really important to have information like this out there for people when these types of situations do happen. So I, I do hope that you find this to be very helpful. Um, and if anybody ever needs any advice on topics like this, you are always welcome to reach out to me. All right. So speaking of reaching out to me, if you ever want to get in contact with me, you can visit my website contact page at www.barrycorollis.com. Again, that's www.barrycorollis.com. You can also reach out to me on there if you'd like to become a sponsor for our podcasts or to book master classes in ballet or contemporary technique for choreography or speaking engagements. 
I hope you enjoyed listening in and talking dance with me. If you enjoyed this chat, please feel free to share, rate, and review our podcast on iTunes. Every bit of extra visibility <laughs> helps keep these podcasts running. And if this didn't fulfill your dance fix, check out my sister podcast on the Premier Dance Network. New hosts from your favorite dance companies are being added monthly. If you want to connect with me to see where I'm choreographing, teaching, and what I'm doing in my everyday life, you can follow me on Facebook, where I constantly post my schedule, <laughs> Instagram, where my name is B. Corollis, or on Twitter at Bariscos. Also, be sure to subscribe to my blog, Life of a Freelance Dancer, where I've been writing about working as a freelance artist for over four years. I also have two YouTube channels, B. Corollis, featuring my choreography, and Core-ography, featuring my choreographic web series that tells the life-defining stories of professional dancers through revealing interviews and choreography. Thanks for listening in to Pod a Chat. I hope you return next Friday to talk dance with me. And remember to go out and support your local dance scene.